Bible reading. Yes, Louise. <laughs> Today's reading comes from Colossians 1, chapter fif- chapters 15 to 23. Uh, the preeminence of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless, and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the God. Thanks, Michael. Uh, For some context, um, I'm just going to invite Pastor David up. It's it's his last day today. Um, he has served his served us his people uh, and loved us um, very much uh, over the last few year, few years, but has been with us for many years. Um, so yeah, would you give a round of applause actually uh, as he uh, gives his last sermon, which we all really look forward to hearing. Thanks, Kev. <coughs> So, um, actually, I want to show a short clip before we start uh, our, our sermon for today. So, uh, if we could have it on. We could start it again, maybe. Yeah. Okay, so some of you are asking, what did I just watch in church? <laughs> I just saw like a demon and, and hell and donuts, Homer Simpson. Um, well, first of all, hell is biblical, so so don't panic. Uh, but second of all, this is my final sermon that I'll be preaching as pastor here at The World. And um, I was trying to think about how to share uh, with you guys what that means to me. And this video clip came to mind. Uh, And here's why. I started as an intern pastor back in 2017. 
And for the whole year, uh, when I started off, I would started going to Bible college, but I did not get to preach even one single time. And I remember at the end of that year, um, our pastor at the time, uh, Paul, I went up to him and I complained. I said, Pastor Paul, um, I haven't had any opportunities to preach this year. I want to preach more. And although I didn't mean it as a prayer at the time, um, I think God heard it as one because from 2018, uh, Paul and Jamie uh, stepped down as pastors of our church. And it was like God said, so you want to preach, eh? (laughs) Well, then have all the Sundays in the world. (laughs) And I went from not having preached once to preaching a whole lot more. But kind of like Homer in that video clip, um, you know, while I have found a lot of things very difficult and challenging as a pastor, uh, and don't get me wrong, preaching is hard work too, uh, but preaching at the same time was a lifeline. Uh, It was so satisfying despite the hard work because I was in God's Word. Throughout the week, I would be digging deep. I'd be looking for treasure in God's Word, and I'd find it, and I'd hear from God, and it would be so comforting uh, for my soul. And my earnest desire each Sunday was to come up here and hope that you guys would hear from him too. Um, You know, God had a plan to use my immature desire, my prayer. uh, You know, I want to preach more uh, for my sake each week and for your sake too, for the sake of his church. And today is my last sermon and my desire honestly hasn't changed at all. I want you to hear from God in his word today. I want you to hear from God, what I've heard in Colossians 1. And if what you need to hear in our passage today could be summed up in one phrase, it would be this, Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. I want you to keep that in mind as you hear this final sermon, uh, knowing that from next Sunday, things will be different at the world. Knowing that a question you might have now is, what's next? How do we move forward as a church? There are so many unknowns. Or, you know, where are we going to find a new pastor? I'm not saying those questions are bad. But what I'm saying is before you do anything, before you start wondering, before you even take one step forward, you need to know this. You need to know that Christ is Lord. So in Colossians 1, uh, a a passage for today, 15 to 23, I want to give you some context. Paul is writing to the Colossian church, uh, and that's really his central point. Christ is Lord. Very simply, Christ is Lord. What you have to understand about Colossae was that it was once a large, influential, wealthy city. But by the time that Paul wrote this letter to them, um, a lot of trade had dried up. The city was a lot smaller. They had lost a lot of their former security. And although the, uh, the Colossian church, they had received the gospel, they were starting to be gripped by their failures, the things that they had lost. And so they began to turn to rituals. They began to worship angels. They began to think about bringing Judaism back into Christianity. And I think that that is a temptation that you will face as well subtly. Uh, in this next season, the temptation to be gripped more by your failures, by what you have lost as a church. 
you might be tempted to think that Jesus is no longer enough, that you need something new, a new leader. You need more knowledge. You need to be doing more with your Christian life to move forward. And to the Colossian church, and to us actually, Paul writes very simply, Christ is Lord. Fix your eyes upon Him. Christ is Lord over everything. He's in control. And so before we take even one step forward in order to try and take control of our situation, you need to know this. You need to know that Christ is Lord. But in order to do that, uh, you need to know what that even actually means. What does it mean when we say that Christ is Lord? It's more than a Christian phrase. It's more than something that a very enthusiastic, overly religious person will say. This is the reality that will serve as a foundation for your next Sunday and every single Sunday after that. So I want to talk to you about that simple point today, that Christ is Lord. And I want to show you three ways that Christ is Lord in this passage. Number one, Christ is Lord over creation. Right? Christ is Lord over creation. So in verses 15 to 17, Paul shows us that Jesus is Lord over creation. And he's actually spent the first half of chapter 1, even though we didn't read it, verses 1 to 14, saying to the Colossian church, hey, you guys have already received the gospel. You know about Jesus' love for you. So walk in a manner that's worthy of him, worthy of that love. Live a life that's pleasing to him. And in verses 13 to 14, Paul talks about this kind of life as a transfer or a move between two kingdoms. From the kingdom of darkness uh, to the kingdom of the Son, Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. And what Paul is really making clear to us here is that Jesus is not just a teacher. Jesus is not just someone that you should look up to, but that Jesus is a king. Jesus is the king. And this idea of Jesus as king, it's not just a ceremonial term, but it's about his dominion. That's what it means to be a king. It's about his lordship. And we come to verses 15 to 17, the start of our passage today, and Paul begins with this. Jesus is Lord over what? He's Lord over creation. Look at uh, verse 15 with me. He is the image of the invisible God. That means he perfectly resembles God in everything. He's the representation, he's the characteristic of everything that is God, the nature of God is in Jesus. And secondly, he's the firstborn of all creation. So this is kind of what's going to give us our first point, that Jesus is Lord over creation. Paul calls him the firstborn of all creation. And, you know, being the firstborn today, it doesn't mean a whole lot. I'm the firstborn. I've got a little sister. Uh, it means that you're older. It means you get to do things first. It means that you probably get the short end of the stick when it comes to parental pressure and expectations. But a few hundred years ago, being the firstborn meant so much more. It meant that you inherited everything. There was nothing for the, the, the younger sibling. Everything that the family owned, the firstborn would get. And that's what Paul means here. He doesn't, when, he when he calls Jesus the firstborn of, of all creation, he's not saying that Jesus was the first to be created. 
because Jesus is God. He's the uncreated one. He's the image of the invisible God. Rather, like the firstborn son, Paul is saying that Jesus has inherited all of creation, everything, the whole universe. He has the right to rule, and he rules it all. But he doesn't just rule it because he has the position of firstborn. Verse 16 actually shows us that Jesus is the creator, right? That's what it says. He's the creator. And just take a look at everything that Jesus has created. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, whether in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible, everything that you can conceive, Jesus has created. And finally, in verse 17, it says, not only did he create everything, but he holds it all together. So this earth this morning, continuing to rotate on its axis, and then around the sun, that's happening because Jesus is holding it all together. You continue to inhale and exhale breath this morning because Jesus' lordship over creation is absolute. This building is not crumbling. It's standing up despite gravity because Jesus sustains all things. Now, if you didn't know this about me, I'm a pretty competitive person by nature, especially when it comes to things like sports or you know, board games or video games. You know, so much so that if I feel like I'm not good at something, I will first Google how to be good at it. And not just how to be good at it, but how to be amazing at it. How to dominate at it. Um, for example, I played a board game called Wingspan uh, for the first time. Uh, one of the brothers in our community, he, he owns Wingspan. And I didn't win. I came second. I went home that night. And I watched a video called Next Level Wingspan Strategies. It was like an hour long, and I watched the whole thing. <laughs> this desire to be number one, to be the greatest, it's not just something that I have, but it's been a constant feature in human history. Like, there have been world leaders like Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan and Caesar who have ruled massive empires. There have been sports teams like the Boston Celtics who have dominated the NBA by winning 11 championships in 14 years. Today we have corporations like Amazon. Do you know how much they're worth? They're worth 1.6 trillion. But inevitably, empires collapse, sporting teams rise and fall, corporations, even Amazon, will one day not exist. Everything falls. And then with them sometimes our hopes and dreams as well. But what Paul reminds us of is this, that Jesus created everything. He created all things. He sustains all things, and it's for him that everything was made. That means there's no power above, above Jesus Christ in all creation. I want you to look at the way that Paul uses that word all in this section. Verse 15, he says, firstborn, firstborn of all creation. Verse 16, by him all things were created. Verse 17, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything. A blade of grass outside. A tree. Every single wave that rolls along on the coastline. Every nation 
Every person, Jesus created all of it. And he reigns over all of it. And if we're in relationship with him, if we're trusting in him, then really we're in relationship with the supreme power of this world, the one who made everything. And we can be confident in that. Because Jesus, the Lord of all creation, he's not sitting on some untouchable, lofty seat. But this Lord of creation, the one who made everything, the one who holds it all together, he knows you this morning. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows everything about you, and he loves you. And all he asks is that you trust in him. All he asks is that you recognize that he is, in fact, Lord over everything. And that when life gets hard, hey, just come and turn to him. When creation crumbles around you, right, when your relationships suffer, when sickness hits, when people die, when finances get tight and you're overwhelmed by the pressures of life, creation is crumbling around you. Come to the Lord of creation. Come to Jesus. He made everything. He sustains everything. It's all for Him. He's in control. He's not powerless to do nothing. In fact, He's the only person who can do anything. So that's the first way that Jesus is Lord, right? Christ is Lord of creation. But secondly, Jesus is Lord over the church, right? So now we come to verses 18 to 20, and we see that Jesus is Lord over the church. Verse 18 says this, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So Paul used that word again, firstborn, but it's slightly different to the way that he used it the first time in verse 15, uh, where he called Jesus there the firstborn, firstborn of creation. I'm having a real hard time saying that word. Uh, he called Jesus the firstborn of creation, and that was about his inheritance, right? His right to inherit creation. That was about his position. But this time, when, Jesus call, when Paul calls Jesus the firstborn from the dead, it's not about his position. It's about the order of things, okay? That Jesus went first. He was, in fact, the first to be raised from the dead. And because of this, we can trust that when our time on earth is done, we too also will follow him, will also be raised from the dead. So in verses 19 to 20, Paul says, The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him, and through him all things on earth and in heaven have been reconciled to him. And what he's saying there is this. Jesus is God. And it's only because Jesus is God that he was able to reconcile all things, all the creation to himself. And how did he do that? He did that by dying on the cross. He did that by shedding his blood. And he did that by doing the very thing that we could not do, that humanity could not do. Only what he could do as God to make peace between us and him through the forgiveness of sin. Um, I'm a fan of basketball. Just this week I was talking about... Uh, my favorite basketball player, uh, his name's LeBron James. I'm not very good at basketball, but I just, I like it, I follow it. Uh, LeBron James is a prodigious talent. If you don't know who he is, I think he is the greatest of all time. He was drafted as an 18-year-old. He skipped college, went straight to the pros, uh, to a team called the, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers. And he became the leader of his team, even at a young age. And he put everything on the line right, to lead this team to multiple finals appearances. 
But after eight seasons with the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, he actually ends up leaving for another team. And I remember when that happened, maybe you remember this too, the, the fans, the Cleveland fans, were absolutely rabid. They were so angry at him. Despite the fact that he gave everything for the past eight seasons, they were calling him a traitor. They were making videos uh, of them burning his jersey. And he actually ended up winning multiple championships with another team. But then he comes back home to Cleveland. And there was a, you know, there was a short, concise uh, announcement in the papers. I remember when it happened. And he just said, you know, I'm, I'm coming home. And he comes back to Cleveland and he leads them to a championship. And it completely changes the fans. It changes Cleveland, in fact. It brings a renewal. It brings a hope and optimism to a city. And LeBron has been called kind of a messianic figure. Uh, one of his nicknames was the Chosen One. And he was kind of that for Cleveland. He was the Chosen One. He came back home and he brought them a championship. He brought them victory and, and hope and renewal. But Jesus, uh, Jesus is not just a, mes a messianic figure. Jesus is the Messiah. When Jesus died on the cross, his own disciples, the ones who had been walking with him, they felt abandoned, they felt hopeless, they felt angry. But he rose again. And it's through his resurrection that the church was born. When he rose again, those first disciples realized they were never actually left alone. And then new disciples were added to their number daily ever since then. Paul says Jesus is the Lord over creation, the natural world. But secondly, he says that Jesus is Lord over the new creation, the church. That's how the Bible talks about believers and Christians, new creations in Christ, where the old has passed away and the new has come. And the point is this, you are the church and you are not left alone. Christ has risen and has taken his place as the Lord of his church. He rose again and the church was born. He's the Lord of his church. He's the Lord of this church. He deeply cares for and loves his church. He died for his church. As I've begun, uh, as I've begun to process uh, leaving, you know, I've been reflecting on how this church has been through some difficult things. In 2018, when this community was a campus of a multi-site church called New Philadelphia, uh, the senior pastors of that church were removed for character issues. Our local pastors stepped down. They went back home to the U.S. That was really hard. In 2019, this community went through a failed merge with another church community. We tried to build something together, and it fell apart. That was really hard, too. It was bittersweet. In 2020, this community uh, found a new location here in Newington, where we are today. And then COVID-19 hit. And many of you guys felt disconnected from your brothers and sisters in the church community. Ma many of you guys felt like you really had to question why you came to church at all. You know, having worship services and small groups online, that was not fun. <laughs> it was less than ideal. 
And then in 2023, just three months ago, you know, I shared with you guys that I am going to be stepping down and resigning from my position as pastor. And I'm sure that was hard as well. And the reason that I'm reminding you of these things is not to make you feel more depressed, uh, to go through the greatest hits of what's been hard and what our failures have been. The reason I'm telling you these things is to get you to see that this is a lot to go through in five years. This is so much. In fact, many, many people have told me straight up, that's too much to go through as a church. That's just too much. And so what I'm trying to get you to see is this. Jesus is Lord over his church. Jesus is Lord over this church. He always has been. He loves his church. He gave his life for his church. When he rose again, his church was born. And I take great comfort in the fact that Jesus is Lord over the church. There are going to be many things that you need to do and you you need to decide. But you need to know this. This upcoming season, it's not a surprise to Jesus at all. It's just not. He knows and he loves and he cares for his bride. I'm thankful that there are Christians here in this church who want to know God and, and his glory more. I'm thankful that there are brothers and sisters in this church who want to proclaim Jesus' name to serve God and to serve each other. I'm thankful that there are non-Christians in this church who want to know God because they don't. Who want to know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. There are many questions that come to mind. What do we do as a church? Where do we go? How do we do it? Who's going to be our new pastor? And yet coming under this lordship of Christ means to pray, Jesus, you are the Lord of this church. You love this church. You died for this church. And we won't do anything until you lead us. Jesus is Lord over creation. Jesus is Lord over the church. And the final point is this. Jesus is Lord over us. And can you see the the focus kind of narrowing as we get to this final point? It starts really big. It starts with creation. And it gets a bit smaller. It goes to the church. And finally, Jesus is Lord over us, over you. Not just as a church, but individually, as believers, in relationship with God. In verse 21, the way that Paul explains that to us is that he describes a terrible reality. In verse 21, he says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Paul says that just like the Colossians, we were alienated from God, right? We were hostile in the way we considered God. We were doing evil deeds. And that sounds really harsh, maybe. You don't want to be called evil, hostile in mind, alienated from God. But that's the reality for all of us. That's who we were. No matter how you spin it, no matter how long you've been Christian, whether you were raised in a Christian family or not, that's who we were. And there is no appeal that you can make outside of Jesus that changes that. There just isn't. You cannot say, you know, I was brought up in a Christian family, I go to church, I read my Bible, and I think that's good enough. 
except we do that. Not so much with our words, but with our lives. Paul says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But here's the here's the grace. Here's the receiving of grace. Verse twenty two. You were like that. You were alienated, you were hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus uh, physically died. That's, that's intense. Just think about that for a moment. It's not a metaphorical death. It's not some kind of sentimental death. He physically died. He paid with his blood like a sacrifice to satisfy the holiness and the justice of God. It wasn't a touching act. It was a brutal act. It was a horrible act. He became sin in our place and he was nailed to the cross. So that we could be forgiven. Of all our sins. Isn't that amazing? All our sins. Not just some, but all of our sins. Every single one of them, past, present, and future. That's how... That's how complete his work on the cross was. And so we are no more those people who stand before God guilty. But Paul says, we will be presented holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus is Lord over us, and the burden of sin is gone. The stain of it has been taken away from our lives. It means that we can stand before God on the day of judgment, forgiven, innocent, and blameless before Him. It's, a, it's an incredible comfort, but it's also a challenge. Because if we say that we truly know this forgiveness and we've received this forgiveness, then your life and my life must reflect that Jesus is Lord over us. That we're not our own, but we belong to Jesus. And I want to say, it's okay to admit maybe that you don't know His forgiveness truly this morning. 
If the people around you cannot attest to the fact, the colleagues around you cannot attest to it, or your friends, or even your family, your spouse, your own kids, that Jesus is Lord, then I want to encourage you to ask God to show you what that forgiveness truly means. Maybe for the first time. Uh, Not in just a heady kind of intellectual way, but to know this forgiveness, there's no alternative. Christ is Lord. But if you do know this forgiveness this morning, and if the answer is yes, and it doesn't have to be a yes based on, well, it's actually not about you. If you say, yes, Christ is Lord over my life, you're not presenting a particular image to others as a super Christian or like a really mature believer. It's not even about the measure of your confidence in your answer. Is Christ Lord? Yes, I, you know, it's, I feel it. I, I know it in my head and in my heart. It just has to be a confidence that if you're in Christ, how precious, how wonderful, how miraculous, how sweet it is to be forgiven of all your sins. All your sins. You know, Christ is Lord, and I think this is the best part of it. He's not like any other Lord that you could have in your life, where if you fail Him, He'll give you what you deserve. If you fail Him, even terribly, abysmally, so much so that you feel like there's nothing that you could do, well, that's kind of the whole point. He has done everything already on the cross. He is a good Lord, a good King. Uh And so I'm not trying to be disrespectful in any way this morning, but I want to say this. There is a better Lord who wants to lead your life. He is Lord over creation. He is Lord over the church. And He is Lord over you, whether you acknowledge that or not. Even if you're not a Christian here this morning, and you hear me say to you, oh, Jesus is Lord over you, Even if you don't acknowledge that, that's fine. It doesn't change the fact that He is still Lord over everything, including you. And yet He doesn't demand that you submit to Him. Instead, He invites you to come and know Him, to follow Him. He promises that we can trust in Him as the Lord over our lives because He will never ever fail, he'll never collapse, he'll never fall. We can absolutely trust that tomorrow is in his hands. We can trust that if we give our sins and our failures over to him, with the sure knowledge that he's paid the price, he has the power to help us overcome our sin because he's bigger than our sin too. Jesus is Lord over everything. He's Lord over creation. He's Lord over this church and is Lord over us. Never ever forget that. Let that be the foundation 
on which you build anything. Move forward as a church in light of that. Be desperate for Jesus as Lord. Tell him that he's Lord and, and that you are not. Ask him to lead you. And then live your life in light of his lordship. And so to finish up today, um, I just want to end our time by by just reading through today's scripture again. I want you I want to invite you to just meditate on the lordship of Jesus. So uh, I'll, I'll read it out for us. Please, please join me in, in meditating on this passage. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord over creation. You are Lord over the church. And you are Lord over us. I pray that we, your people, would know that. Uh, would know that greater and more deeply than we ever have before. Especially as we look ahead uh, to a new season. Lord, I pray that you would guide our gaze. You would help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, who is Lord. And that everything would fall into place as we do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.